it's kind of a long chapter. We're gonna try to get through the whole thing, but we may not. We may have to. We may have to break it up. But we won't have to comment too much on these things. These things are probably things that that some of you are familiar with. But if not, we'll we'll talk about them just briefly. Each of these little sections we come come across. Nehemiah nine. We'll start in verse one. They had finished the walls. The people of Jerusalem had begun to move back in, and they had started celebrating. They were praising the Lord. They were rejoicing. Uh, everything was going good, uh, but there were still problems with the people. They, they still uh, had some sin that had to be dealt with. I mean, they had been restored. God had been good to them, but, but they needed to realize the error of their ways, that is, the sins that they had committed. And that's what we see here in Nehemiah 9. We see this, this confession of sins of God's people not just this generation, but it, it covers the whole journey of God's people. Hey, here's, here's how we've abandoned God continually time and time again as God's people, and that's what we see in Nehemiah 9. So let's pray, and we'll jump in. Father God, we come to you. I thank you for your good words. And God, I pray that just as, as the nation of Israel sees the error of their ways here in this passage, God, that, that we would do the same in our lives, dear Lord. It doesn't matter which country we live in or who the people are. God, you want people to seek you. And dear Lord, you bless people when they seek you, but it's, it's, it's hard times on folks when they don't, dear Lord. And so, God, we want to seek your blessings in our lives and in our church and in our country. But dear Lord, it's, it's hard for you to bless us when, when so much sin's going on. So I pray, God, that you help us to live in obedience to you as, as individuals, as a church, and and as a nation, dear Lord, that, that we would experience your blessings, that we would see you work and move in the lives of people in this country. And so, God, I pray that maybe we just take some notes from the heart and the attitude of the people of Nehemiah's day here in this, this part we're reading tonight. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Nehemiah 9, verse 1. On the 24th day of this seventh month, the Israelites assembled. They were fasting, wearing sackcloth, and had put dust on their heads. Now, we've talked about this idea of sackcloth and, and fasting and dust. This was something that oftentimes people did in mourning, uh, and, and sometimes this occurred when people were living in sin, when there was some sin that, was being, uh, that had been committed. This was a sign to show that you had a broken heart, that you were mourning your sin, that you were repentant. And so we saw celebration in, in, in the verses before this, leading up to this, and the people were glad that they were back in Jerusalem with the walls up, but they still had this burden. They still had the sins that the people of Israel had, had, had lived with and had got them into trouble all those years ago. And so they're mourning and they're fasting even now that they're back in Jerusalem. Verse 2, those of Israelite descent separated themselves from all foreigners, and they stood and confessed their sins and the guilt of their fathers. While they stood in their places, they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a fourth of the day and spent another fourth of the day in confession and worship of the Lord their God. So they were serious about what was going on and what was that. They were confessing their sins. They were rejoicing in the Lord, but they were confessing their sins and the sins of their fathers. That is, the sins of of Israel of old because they realize that, hey, we have not done right by God. God has been faithful to us as a nation, as his people 
time and time again, and we've continually turned our back on him and followed false gods and did sinful things. And so they're acknowledging that and they're confessing that and, and they're really focusing on the Lord during this time. In verse 4, Joshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shebaniah, Buni, Sherebiah, Bani, and Kaniah stood on the raised platform built for the Levites and cried out loudly to the Lord their God. Then the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashbaniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pedahiah said, Stand up, praise Yahweh your God from everlasting to everlasting. Praise your glorious name, and it may be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are Yahweh. You created the heavens, the highest heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You gave life to all of them, and the heavenly host worship you. So they have these, these, these priests and these leaders uh, that, are, that, are, that are giving this command to the people and giving this praise to the Lord. Okay, we're repenting of our sins, we're confessing our sins, and part of that that they start with is, we praise you, God, because you are good. So they establish that God is good. He created all things. He is over all things. That he is awesome and he is powerful. And that's kind of how their, their prayer, how their seeking of God starts. And that's a good place to start. Start with God and how good he is. And that's where they start. And then they move to, God, you are great. You are good. But we have not been so good. And here are the ways that we have failed you. And that's what we see in the verses that follow. In verse 7, You are Yahweh, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and changed his name to Abraham. You found his heart faithful in your sight and made a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Jebusites, and Girgashites to give it to his descendants. You have kept your promise, for you are righteous. Okay, so they're still praising God. They're going all the way back to Abraham. God, you were good. You made a promise to Abraham. What was the promise? All right, you're going to have a son, Abraham, and I'm going to bless all nations through you. I'm going to put you in this specific land that I've got mapped out for you. And God did exactly that. He brought his people to the promised land. They, they dwelt in the land that God had provided for them. So God had kept his promises. He had done what was good. He had done it through Abraham. And these, these, these folks of Nehemiah's day, they recognize that. They recognize the goodness of God, that God has not been the problem, that the people of Israel have been the problem. That's what's caused their situation to be the, so bad. That's what's got them in the predicaments that they've been in, is that they've stopped listening to and following God. And so they point out, God, we praise you, you're good. God, we know that from the time of Abraham you made a promise, and you kept that promise, and you have been good. And then they continue on in verse 5, excuse me, verse 9. You saw the oppression of our ancestors in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea. You performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, all his officials, and all the people of his land. For you knew how arrogantly they treated our ancestors. You made a name for yourself that endures to this day. You divided the sea before them and they crossed through it on dry ground. You hurled their pursuers into the depths like a stone into churning waters. You led them with a pillar of cloud by day and with a pillar of fire by night to illuminate the way they should go. 
You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke to them from heaven. You gave them impartial ordinances, reliable instructions, and good statutes and commands. You revealed your holy Sabbath to them and gave them commands, statutes, and instruction through your servant Moses. You provided bread from heaven for their hunger. You brought them water from the rock for their thirst. You told them to go in and possess the land you had sworn to give them. So again, they're, they're, really, they're really praising God, and in their praise of God, they're, they're, they're reminding God or, or, or praying to God or praising God in a way that they're recalling the things that God has done. God, you were good. You made a promise to put your people in the land, and you put your people in that land. How did you do it? Well, your people were enslaved, but God, through your power, you heard when your people cried out to you. And you delivered them. You let them cross through the sea. And you brought them into the land that you had promised them. And so here we see all these ways that God had provided for them. He provided for food for them. He provided water for them. So God, time and time again, from the beginning of the Bible, throughout these stories that we've seen here, has been good to his people. He has been faithful to his people. In verse 16, but our ancestors acted arrogantly. They became stiff-necked and did not listen to your commands. They refused to listen and did not remember your wonders you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and appointed a leader to return their slavery to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in faithful love, and you did not abandon them. Even after they had cast an image of a calf for themselves and said, This is your God who brought you out of Egypt. And they had committed terrible blasphemies. You did not abandon them in the wilderness because of your great compassion. During the day, the pillar of cloud never turned away from them, guiding them on their journey. And during the night, the pillar of fire illuminated the way they should go. So here we see a shift. There had been a praise for God because everything God had done had been good. But what about the people? Well, they had not been so good because in verse 16, but our ancestors acted arrogantly. They became stiff-necked. What did they do? As soon as God had delivered them out of the promised land, not much, or excuse me, out of Egypt, not much time had passed until they said, man, we had it better off in Egypt. We should turn and go back. Uh, forget this God that brought us out of Egypt. Here's the God that brought us out of Egypt. It's a golden calf. And they got together and they formed this gold calf and what a stupid thing to do. They, I mean, God delivered you, and then you're going to make something that you're going to worship in place of God? Well, they became stupid, and they became stiff-necked. But even so, as we see the people of Nehemiah's day, they said, God, you were gracious, and you were compassionate. You, 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 you didn't give up on us. You had mercy on us. You had grace. It said uh, you were slow to anger and rich in faithful love. And so... They're acknowledging that they have not done good, that the people of Israel have not done right by God, even though God has continually done right by them, as undeserving as they may have been. Verse 20, you sent your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths, and you gave them water for their thirst. You provided for them in the wilderness 40 years, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. You gave them kingdoms and people and assigned them to be a boundary. They took possession of the land of Sahan, king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. You multiplied their descendants 
like the stars of heaven and brought them to the land. You told their ancestors to go in and take possession of it. So their descendants went and possessed the land. You subdued the Canaanites who inhabited the land before them and handed their kings and the surrounding peoples over to them to do as they pleased with them. They captured fortified cities, fertile land, and took possession of well-supplied houses, cisterns cut out of rock, vineyards, olive groves, and fruit trees in abundance. They ate, were filled, became prosperous, and delighted in your great goodness. Okay, so they acknowledge, you delivered us out of Egypt, but then we sinned. We made this calf. We were, we were disobedient. But you were good, God. And even though we had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, even in that you provided for us. But ultimately, they continue the progression of Israel's history. But ultimately, God, you brought us into, into the promised land. You led us in that we could overtake the people who lived there. Even the toughest enemies could not stand up to us. Why? Because you were good to us, God. You provided for us. And when we got into the promised land, everything was great. But the people still weren't satisfied. Verse 26, we see another but there. But they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They flung your law behind their backs and killed your prophets who warned them in order to turn them back to you. They committed terrible blasphemies. So you handed them over to their enemies who, who oppressed them. In their time of distress, they cried out to you, and you heard from heaven, and your abundant compassion you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the power of their enemies. So we kind of kind of progress in here. Out of Egypt, wander in the wilderness, into the promised land. But they still were disobedient. Now, we studied, we saw this a lot when we studied through the book of Judges a couple of years ago. They got into the promised land, but because of their disobedience, man, they face all kind of trouble. And that's similar to what we see here. The people were disobedient. They continued to blaspheme God. But what does it say? We see the same theme here. But even still, you had abundant compassion. Time and again, God delivered his people, and they'd come to him briefly, and then they'd go off and sin again. And then they'd call out to him, and he would have abundant compassion. And he'd continue to rescue them from their enemies. And so we see this theme starting to take place through this chapter. God is good. He has been good from the start. He continues to be good even when the people don't deserve it. But what about the people? They are bad continually. They are bad. They are bad. They are bad. And that's what's got them in this, in this shape. And they recognize that. They recognize we are, we are in such bad shape. Even though we've been restored to Jerusalem and the temple's been rebuilt and the walls have been rebuilt, we are in bad shape as a people because we have not been living for you the way that we should. Verse 28, so God delivered the people, and then what happened? But as soon as they had relief, they again did what was evil in your sight. So you abandoned them to the power of their enemies who dominated them. When they cried out to you again, you heard from heaven and rescued them many times in your compassion. You warned them to turn back to your law, but they acted arrogantly and would not obey your commands. They sinned against your ordinances, which a person will live by if he does them. They stubbornly resisted, stiffened their necks, and would not obey. You were patient with them for many years, and your spirit warned them through your prophets, but they would not listen. Therefore, you handed them over to the surrounding people. So here we see this progression. 
throughout the time of Judges, throughout the time of the kings of Israel, God's people up and down. God was patient. God was good. God delivered them. But eventually, he handed them over to their enemies. Well, the people of Nehemiah's day are coming out of the, out of the, out of the time that the, that the uh, people of, of God were put into captivity under the Babylonians. They had been there for 70 years, and they finally had been released, and they finally had been able to come back in. And so God did just what we see in this passage. God handed them over to their enemies once again in hopes that it would get their attention. And it seems to be working. Because the response we see in Nehemiah 9, it seems to say that they acknowledge that they have sinned. But we've seen this story before. God's people acknowledged that they had sinned. And they did good for a little while, and then they went back and sinned again. All right. Therefore, you handed your people over to the surrounding peoples. And then in verse 31, however, in your abundant compassion, you did not destroy them or abandon them. For you are a gracious and compassionate God. So now, our God, the great, mighty, and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant, do not view lightly all the hardships that have afflicted us, our kings and leaders, our priests and prophets, our ancestors and all your people, from the days of the Assyrian kings until today. You are righteous concerning all that had come on us, because you have acted faithfully while we have acted wickedly. Our kings, leaders, priests, and ancestors did not obey your law or listen to your commands and warnings you gave them. When, when they were in their kingdom with your abundant goodness that you gave them and in the spacious and fertile land you set before them, they would not serve. They would not serve you or turn from their wicked ways. Here we are today, slaves in the land you gave our ancestors so that they could enjoy its fruit and its goodness. Here we are, slaves in it. Its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have set over us because our sins, they rule, over, they rule over our bodies and our livestock as they please. We are in great distress. So here we kind of get up to date where we are in the story. They had been handed over to the Babylonians, but God had delivered them. Even though they had been handed over, we see in verse 31, however, you had con abundant compassion once again. And this is where the people of Nehemiah's day and Ezra's day come in. God is having that abundant compassion on them in this moment. He had restored them. But what does it say at the end of this passage? They are still in distress. Even though they are in the land that God always intended them to be in, there are still other kings there. They are still slaves in the land. They are still not free. They still desire full restoration. Now, where is that going to come from? It's going to come from the Lord. Because as we've seen throughout this whole chapter that recovers some of the biggest events of the Old Testament, every time deliverance comes from God's people. But when does it come? When God's people call out to it. And so God is always faithful to deliver his people who will call out to him. And in Nehemiah's day, this group is faithful to call out to the Lord. Now, you can look at lots of countries throughout the world and, and you'll see the same problem is that people are living in sin. Now, God has not made any specific promises to the United States of America. We're not going to open up the scriptures and say God has promised this land to us or promised that to us. But I do believe that God is good to any people who call out to him. And I believe that there is blessing that comes with that. But I believe any time that there's a people or a nation that turn against God, I believe that we suffer for that. Because God is not going to bless sin. 
if we want if we want God's blessing, we got to seek God. We got to listen to God. We got to live for God. And if we are faithful to do that in our lives individually, as a church, as a nation, God is faithful time and time again in Scripture to hear those who are His and call out to Him. And that's what God's people Israel had to do. And that's what any of God's people today need to do, no matter what country that they're in. And that's what we need to do as a country. That's what we need to do as individuals. We need to say, God, I have sinned. And maybe we could write out a list similar to this list that we see in Nehemiah of all the times that we know we have sinned and that God has been faithful. Because chances are you can probably think of two or three right off the top of your head when you think, man, I didn't deserve that. But I called out to God and God forgave me and God delivered me. And that's what we need in our lives is we need to be delivered when we're in sin. And so if we see we're in sin in our life today, then we need to repent of that. We need to acknowledge God's compassion and say, God, have compassion on me because I have sinned against you. And God is faithful to deliver us, so faithful to deliver us that he gave his one and only son in Jesus Christ, that if we believe in him, we will be forgiven of our sins. And so God's compassion is still there. And it's there for eternity for those who would call out to him. And in Nehemiah's day, they recognized their sin, not just individually, but as a nation throughout their history, that they had turned from God and they said, God, we're in distress. And good news, when we're in distress and we call out to the Lord, he hears us in our distress. And like he did with the people of, of Nehemiah 9, he has compassion on us today. And maybe some of us need the compassion of God tonight. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you and thank you for these good words. And I pray that we uh, just tuck them in our heart. Dear Lord, look at our own life. Maybe there is some sin in our life that needs to be addressed and dealt with. And let us be faithful to confess that sin to you just like the people of Nehemiah 9 did, dear Lord, that you would help us individually, and God, that you'd help us as a country. We want to we be, be a people all over the world, no matter where people are, dear Lord. Hopefully, we want to be a people for you, and so I pray, God, that you would help us just to seek you. God, we want to be blessed by you. We want to seek closer to you. We want to see your word uh, expand. We want to see the love of Christ expand through this world. Souls be saved, and so God, I pray that we just would confess our sins, and God, we thank you for your compassion, that you are good to give it to us, even when we don't deserve it. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I got a couple we can, I can update you guys on tonight. We need to continue to pray for Carl Dixon. He's, he's uh, still got a long way to go. He's moved into a room, but he's, he's doing okay. But it's going to be a while, I think, several more days before he gets to come home. Obviously, we want to pray for uh, the Logan Beerbaum family. That's Sandra's grandson that passed. They'll be having a service for, for uh, just family uh, Saturday at the church at 11. And so we want to pray for them. Uh, also, the Free Burma Rangers, the, the attacks there continue. Got an email today about another young lady that was killed by some bombings. They, the Burma Army has been doing a lot of bombings there, uh, flying over, dropping lots of bombs. And so it's been bad. Uh, Brother Ernie's granddaughter, Jana, is still not doing very well. It does not look good at this point for her. They're doing all they can, but right now she's it's it's not looking good. They still got her own own life support. Uh, and Miss Miss Pat's son-in-law Michael, he had surgery on his foot. He's going to be down for about six weeks. She said that was about two weeks ago when he had that done. So we want to uh, pray for him. Do y'all have any we need to pray for tonight? Lord's in Nashville. I think everything's going good so far. He ain't heard anything.
Okay. I had Corey. That's K O R I. McGinnis. That's our receptionist. She's pregnant and she's having a lot of trouble and her liver enzymes are elevated and she can't even come to work. So. All right. Any others? All right, if not, if anybody feels led to pray, y'all pray, and when everybody's finished, I'll close us up. Father God, we come to you tonight. We thank you for just the freedom to come in here. We thank you for your word. I pray that you just would help us to just tuck it away in our heart. Remember it when we read it, whether it's here or at home or wherever. We hear it, dear Lord. Let us, let, us, let us hold on to it. I pray that you be with our country, that you be with our leaders, that you just help them to make good decisions that are going to be good decisions that bring glory to you for the good of your people, dear Lord. I pray for our world and Ukraine and Russia and Burma, dear Lord. It's just it's too many situations, a lot of which we probably don't even know about. But God, I pray for those that we do know about. I pray for these that we see on this list tonight. I pray that you be with Carl, that you would help him to recover from his surgery and not have any long-lasting effects. God, I pray that you be with Logan's family, that you give them comfort and strength as they prepare for the service Saturday. It'll be a tough day, and I pray that you just be with them today and in the days that follow. I pray for the Free Burma Rangers and the work that they do and the people of Burma, that you'd keep them safe and, God, in some way, bring, bring peace to that land and those people. I pray for Brother Ernie's granddaughter that you would help her just to have a miraculous recovery, dear Lord, that you'd work in her life, that you'd restore her health, and that you'd, that you'd just get her, get her back going. I pray for Michael that you would help him in his, in his foot as he recovers from this surgery, that he won't have any, any problems with it, and that he'll be able to get back up and get going soon. I pray for some of the unspoken, dear Lord, that we have. You know those needs and what they are. I pray that you just help, help meet them and take care of those folks. I pray that you be with Corey as she goes through her pregnancy, that you just help her, dear Lord, and, and just be with her health and give her good days. And I pray that you be with Lori, that you continue as she, as she battles this cancer, that you continue to help her, dear Lord, to have the strength and, and goes through these treatments. God, I pray that you just would take good care of her and, and her family. I pray that you just give us a good, good week this week, help us to finish the week strong, and help us to be back here Sunday, dear Lord, and give us a good service. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.